Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Tuesday. That's right. It's Tuesday, April 25th. And today is National Hug a Plumber Day because, of course, <laughs> plumber cracks are so important. It's also National DNA Day. It's National Zucchini Bread Day. So I wonder if Gretchen has been baking. National East Meets West Day. National Telephone Day, because without cell phones, what else would we do in America? And it's, of course, National Library Workers Day, because people should probably read more books. But thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to find out exactly where we live in the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us on Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a comment on the story most recently presented. But without further ado, we're going to kick this off with the dope dad himself. That's right. It is Rico Lameet. When Rico is not doing daddy daycare, you can find him packing boxes or actually unpacking boxes because I'm pretty sure... All the shit that he has is going to take at least a few weeks to unpack. That's right. Is the dope dad himself, Rico Lameet. I'm actually almost done unpacking, Jason. Thank you very much. But, um, my story is a feel-good story. We're going to start the things off with a little happiness today. And um, coming out of Michigan. Now, some call him stizzy. Some call him steezy. But you can't call them broke. Legendary California-based cannabis brand owned by Shrine Group Steezy has been fortunate enough to sidestep much of the drama plaguing lifestyle brands, making the journey from legacy to legal, eventually becoming MSO behemoths by building and maintaining bonds with the local communities where it operates, aligning their own messaging and outreach initiatives to mirror that of local consumers. Call it what you want, conscious capitalism or pandering, it works. And sticking to that smart playbooks paid dividends for the brand many times over as they've been able to not only win over the hearts and dollars of consumers in new markets, but the respect of mainstream communities as well. Steezy's tried and true practice kicked into high gear this weekend in Metro Detroit, where Jason Beck is also known as White Gucci. And late March, here's what happened. A major Burger King franchise owner with 26 Michigan locations decided it was time to call it quits. With margins down and an economic outlook seeming grim, an announcement was made 
that all 26 locations would be shutting down and more than 400 jobs would be lost. Sad, but it's all part of the economic cycle. Unfortunately, real human livelihoods hang in the balance and it's mostly low wage and or skilled workers that suffer the most in downturns like we're currently experiencing. But this weekend, we saved the day. Steezy announced that they would be offering to uh, offering immediately to immediately hire up to 200 workers for positions at their nearby manufacturing facility in um, Orion Township, making vape pods, infused blunts, and pre-rolls. And if there's enough interest from former Burger King employees, they'd hire an additional 200 in the coming months. With the new jobs paying more than Burger King ever did for time served making Whoppers. Steezy's teeing up $16 an hour for the day shift, $16.50 the night shift, and benefits, full benefits. So now they'll go home post-shift smelling like weed instead of burger grease. Everybody wins. Per the article, the jobs are part-time or full-time, whatever the worker prefers. Coincidentally, the Burger King layoffs came at a time Steezy was having internal conversations about boosting its workforce to meet the rising demand for products. Steezy operates dispensaries in Ferndale, Battle Creek, and Kalamazoo and sells its products to more than 500 cannabis retailers across the state. Steezy made the application process easy for former Burger King workers um, by just putting out the email. And, so, and for those out there that are affected, just email them at officemi at shrinegroup.com with your full name, phone number, and email address, and they'll say that they will be in touch. With all the negativity running rampant in daily cannabis news cycle these days, especially tied to MSOs, it's always good to hear a bit of positivity sprinkled in there as well. Big up CZ Shrine Group and all the folks benefiting from this move. I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for High Nine News. What say you about this, Jason? I mean, I mean, I already put it in the thing. I like these guys are going from flipping burgers to flipping packs. Yeah. Big shout out to Weed. <laughs> <laughs> Can they still have it their way, though? Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce? <laughs> exactly. They're going to hold the lettuce for sure. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Let us help you. I think, I think it speaks to the um, lack of, uh, of people in the job force for the cannabis industry right now. Mm. Uh, and if, if you need a job and you're willing to flip burgers, um, then take a look at the cannabis industry. I think... I think it's a good thing, but it also shines the light on the fact that there's heavy turnover in the cannabis industry when it comes to employment uh, and looking for good people that want to work um, could be a challenge for some um, for parts of this industry. So I think it's great. You know who the biggest winner in all of this is? Who? McDonald's. Because they have no more competition than the whole entire state of Michigan. They're not. They're not shutting their doors down. They're just building more kiosks and kicking their workers out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Automated I, I, Big Macs. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, I think it's great. All jokes aside, though, I think what you know what this is is very telling. I think that uh, you know the the standard has been met. You know that like the employees of cannabis companies and corporations. Um, are going to be equated to fast food workers and the wages therein are the same as fast food wages. So I think that's more of the story there is that, Hey, this is the promulgation of like the, the industry wide standard now of like hiring people at the minimum wage to do this work. But Steve, well, $16 an hour. I mean, they're, I mean, they're paying them more, but they're paying them more. But what I'm saying is that like the, the entry level to the cannabis industry is not, 
you know, a bachelor's degree. It's like you, you can come out of like the service industry, out of the quick serve industry, and you're going to find your way in there. And I, I, I commend Stizzy for sure. I know those guys are great for paying them a little more, but this is like, you know, it's like how there's also, you know, you know, on the other side of the coin, there's also strikes happening, I think, in Michigan at some mm-hmm. of these uh, dispensaries. P- the employees are striking because they're not getting paid enough to live. Like, that's like we need to we need to get to the point where people can like live off of this work. Right. So, well, hold on. This, this I mean, <laughs> living is not that expensive in Michigan, first of all. OK. And there wasn't there wasn't very much outrage yesterday when we covered the True Leaf story and the fact that they were paying uh, African-American workers 50 cents less per hour at around the same rate that uh, that 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 Stizzy is paying its workers. And so I wonder what's going on, Trey. Were you getting that there? Was it was, was a connection? I'm just saying that the, the same, those same wages were the same wages that uh, that that truly was talking about um, paying people yesterday, and no one was was disgruntled about the wages that truly was paying yesterday, other than the fact that they were paying African American employees fifty cents less per hour than other workers on the same level. So I'm just wondering why we're we're mad at Stizzy for paying. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was bad at Stizzy. I think. It, so I think mom wasn't it. on yesterday, so I don't know why you're complaining. <laughs> Thank you, Gretchen. Coming to my rescue. Yes, Gretchen. <laughs> I mean, was he here, bitch? No. You. And, and, and I know that you know cost of living in Michigan isn't as much, but can you love off sixteen dollars an hour, Jason? Back? Shit, Jason. No way. Oh, you said. I hourly wage, Jason. Come on. <laughs> I ordered I ordered lunch yesterday and that was alone was fifty bucks. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had a turkey sandwich at San Francisco Airport at like 10 p.m. last night and that cost me forty dollars. So we're out, we're out. yeah. We need to do audit of airport pricing. Like straight yeah, up agree. airport pricing is out of control. Like you just get a sandwich and it's twenty bucks. It was crazy. You know what I feel like is they do have those laws, like those price gouging laws, like whenever there's a major national disaster and they're trying to go and Go and uh, arrest people for selling bottles of water for twenty bucks a, wa- a water. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you. I think there does need to be some type of investigation into uh into airport. And you uh, can't bring your own water in there. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, it might be a bomb. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I I am I I am um I think the best part about this uh, this story, and I'm not I'm really really trying not to be like oh yeah I'm all on like shrines nuts or anything like that, but um. They're actually giving people benefits too. They actually put that out there. That they're oh, that's actually, great. Yeah, they're actually that's great. no, that's really good. Now ain't bad if you're getting benefits too. Yeah, yeah that means that sixteen dollars goes up to over twenty dollars an hour if they're getting benefits. Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. how much should a trimmer get paid? How much should a trimmer, you know, a cultivation get worker rate. get paid? No trimmer should get an hourly rate. They should they get, should a, get a, a per pound rate, rate. rate per pound based off of results that they do, not based off of an hourly stipend. Are you against the uh, automatic trimmers, Jason? I have a question. Does, did did, oh, did this story say that. what jobs they're offering? Or it did just said jobs? It just uh, said. No, they did. did. Entry-level jobs. Job. Type of jobs? I didn't catch that. Hold on, hold on, entry-level. Yeah, they said uh, um, um, jobs starting at 16. part or full-time is what I see. Yeah, day shift, night shift, and it's at their, they'll be assembling uh, like, Vape pods, infused blunts, and pre rolls. 
Interesting. It didn't, it didn't say what exactly the positions would be. So this is a, so they're they're putting products together. These guys aren't yeah. becoming bud tenders, or they're not trimmers, or no, they're working in the factory. Basically, they're working yeah. they're working on the assembly line. They're working assembling, in the manufacturing, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Packa packaging. You know, but that's kind of okay. So oh, let's, let's take, but let's take it a step further. How many people that have been in the industry that have worked on compliance? that have seen the mistakes happening at the assembly line stage from the employees that aren't making a lot of money because they're not paying attention, right? So when they see a, a batch date that has like a different year on it than what is the current year or a production date that's not the right production date or just something that's, that's you know, if, if someone was paying a little closer attention, they could prevent those products from getting to market, prevent them from being recalled, sent back. I mean, that's what, that's ultimately like, I mean, yes, that's extreme. But I mean, that's kind of what the the course is uh, of this, right? It's like if you have the the workers that are just head down doing the thing, and they're just like concerned about clocking the time and getting their check, they're not exactly doing you a favor as a license holder because they might overlook something that could, you know, create an issue for your supply chain down the line. But that's again, that's an extreme thing. But I'm just bringing that up because I think that's kind of what I what I've seen, and this is you know. Stizzy, those guys do, you know, exactly what I do in this industry. So that's, uh, that's something that I've seen happen more times than not. And I think others can potentially agree, or there might be some other comments, but it's just something to think about. It's like, you know, pay is equal to effort in our society. And when you get feel like you're getting paid equitably, you're putting more effort into what you're doing. And maybe you're better at it. But that's just my two cents. Well, what I like about this story, and I'm not going to get into the hourly wage or whatever they're doing, because um, it is still $6 more than the minimum wage in Michigan. Oh, yeah. um, I think what people should be thrilled about is that cannabis is stepping up in communities that need help for folks who need jobs. And this shows to the state of Michigan that cannabis wants to pitch in. They want to be parts of the community. This helps to work on the stigma attached to it, that there are good business owners who want to provide jobs for everyone. Um, and regardless of where they are in the state, they're saying we're here and we want to help people. I think that's a good thing. And I think it, other cannabis companies right. should be looking to do this kind of outreach in their communities to get employees. I agree with you on that, Gretchen. Wait, did you guys just agree on Thank something? You, Jason, yes. <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, wait, what's the date? What's the date? <laughs> give, give us 30 seconds. We're going to go to another story, but we're going to go to a commercial first. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. That's right. It's Tuesday over here at Green Street, and we got Smoky Vanilla with us in the building. So that's right. It is time to stretch and smoke. We just got done smoking. Now we're going to stretch it out, and then we're going to smoke again. Let's go. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. You got to come check it out, baby. Check me out on IG at Smoky Vanilla One Stretch and Smoke, Twitter Smoky Vanilla, Social Club Stretch and Smoke, or also on Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam. If you want to feel as good as I look, then make sure that you get a stretch and smoke in with Smoky Vanilla. Yeah. Yay. That could be the best commercial I've ever seen. I, th I think it is. In the history of, <laughs> in the history of commercials. There's some stars yeah. in that commercial for sure.
Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> what up next? He's the industry's longest continuously operating retailer and self-proclaimed highest Republican in the game. Well known for smoking the best weed in the world and paying $50 pre-tax for vegan burger dine-in lunches with Tucker Carlson. Y'all know who it is. Jason. I'll tell you something. When we, go, when we go and have lunch with Tucker, lunches are a lot more than 50 bucks, bro. Okay. Just the bow tie alone. The bow tie alone costs you an arm and a leg. Yeah, just know that. Yeah. Beverly Hills Hotel ain't cheap. Polo lounge popping. But nonetheless, you guys, I have a I have a pretty interesting story today. Semi-interesting. Alabama, right? Everyone knows where that is. And Alabama nixes a recent basketball transfer following a marijuana arrest. Which Wichita State basketball transfer Jaquan Walton who was set to join Alabama this season, was arrested late Saturday night on a charge of second-degree possession of marijuana. The Tuscaloosa Police Department confirmed to Tide Illustrated. Following news of the arrest, Alabama released a statement from the head coach, Nate Oates, stating that Alabama is no longer recruiting Jaquan Walton and he will not be a student athlete at the University of Alabama. Walton announced his transfer from Wichita State to Alabama last month. According to TPD spokesperson Stephanie Taylor, officers received multiple complaints from residents about a large number of vehicles parked in their parking lots at apartment complexes off the strip. I don't know why that is a, a problem, but as whatever. Upon arrival, officers approached an occupied vehicle in the 400 block of Reed Street at 10:11 p.m. The officers smelled marijuana and asked the three men to exit the car. Walton 21 of the Pike Road community in Montgomery County was in the front pa front passenger seat and informed an officer of a loaded firearm under his seat. While retrieving the firearm, the officer noticed a rolling tray and a baggie containing approximately 20 grams of marijuana and a half-rolled blunt in the passenger side floorboard. Officers located two more loaded weapons in the vehicle and another baggie containing 12 grams of marijuana that had belonged to backseat passenger uh, Cameron Deshaun Harris, 21 of Bessemer. Harris and Walton both uh, were charged with second-degree possession of marijuana and released after posting $500 bond. The driver was released with no charges. Walton averaged 13.99 points and 5.3 rebounds for Wichita State last season before his lone season with the Shockers. The six foot six foot seven, two hundred and six pound wing spent a season with the Shelton State Community College, averaging twelve point nine points and four point two rebounds with two point eight assists and one point three steals in twenty two games. He began his college career at Georgia, appearing in nine games over two seasons with the Bulldogs from twenty nineteen to twenty eleven. Oh man, I have I have a lot of thoughts, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. This is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News, and I'm just gonna want to say, don't sit in cars smoking weed with loaded firearms. Leave the firearms in the car and stand outside of the car and smoke weed. This is a public service. Um, I th this is a, a, another story of um, a young black man 
um, whose life is ruined mm-hmm. uh, because of cannabis. Um, I, I, the, Justin in our comments said, oh, rolling, um, rolling around with guns, smoking a blunt. This isn't a cannabis story. It's a gun story. But this is um, this is a um, a black man living in Alabama story um, <laughs> in Kansas. This happened in Kansas. I'm sorry, Kansas, yeah. as the, you said, he played for Alabama. I'm sorry, Kansas. Yes. Um, and it really doesn't matter what state. Um, the pers- the ratio of black people, black and brown people who get arrested more than people, non-black and brown people, um, is on average in this country four to one. Um, in some states, like in Alabama, like in Mississippi, it's eight to one. Um, and so, you know, if if this was a young man that was not melanated. Um, I wonder if the story would have been the same, um, but it's just unfortunate that um, cannabis can ruin someone's life and career at such a young age with so much talent. Um, you know, cause I don't know, is, is Kansas an open carry state? Um, I would say Kansas is an open carry state, but at the same time, I, I find it interesting that they didn't mention any gun charges for for because alabama just went through the ncaa tournament with their star player being an accessory uh, or alleged accessory to murder to, mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. the star player, and they didn't say shit about that they let him play the whole tournament and they, right. they, they, they're like, and they even had the, um, the, 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 the T-shirts made by the fans saying Alabama basketball murdering our way to the top or killing the the NCAA tournament or whatever. Yeah, and, and he's a star. Yeah, you don't take this That's young right. man transferring into your program because of a, a, a weed charge, like, like come yeah, on, think, man, like, what the, what was really going on down there? Well, can, can we talk about? I think what is kind of like the point that I think a lot of us are missing is the fact that the cops were called because there were too many people in the parking lot. What crime is that? And what kind of what? what why are you calling the police because there's too many people in your parking lot? So white, like, that's, what white, that's what white business owners that do. Is totally that's, ridiculous. That's, Karen, that's, Karen that's must have called. Karen, that's what a Karen does. White business yeah. owners do. That's, that's, Karen was called. Too many black people in the parking lot. Apartment complex. Look, look, look up the uh, um, look up the history of loitering and what loitering <laughs> is. Is black people hanging out in parking lots or black people uh, walking around too many people congregating, 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 conversing, congregating. Conversing. All you need is all you need is more than two. Yeah. Three. Um, that would be, be considered three. Yeah. hanging out while black. You're loitering and, right. and, and you're driving yeah. while black. It's all the same thing. It's and it's a reality right. in our communities. We, and these are the kind of conversations that would, that our parents have with us, that parents of black children have with their kids. Um, you have to be mindful. You don't have the same privileges as your white friends or white counterparts to be, just be, just be, just be of color, standing on a corner somewhere, minding your business or walking from the store with your Skittles and sweet tea. Like you just don't have the same benefits because of the color of your skin walking around. Can't live. I just want to well, live. Well, now that uh, college students can endorse products, maybe he can get a gig endorsing some cannabis product. Yeah. So doors I mean, are opening I, I, for him. Not in Arkansas. I think, I think you probably get more money from a gun company. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you get $16 an hour from a, a cannabis company. Exactly. 
I don't know. They have those new, uh, um, you have like the thumbprint. It's a thumbprint gun. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, they need some, <laughs> they need some yeah. need a spokesman for that shit. Sorry. I'm yeah, swearing. We're, we're going to. We're going to keep it moving on that. Coming up next, that's right. It's the feisty, redheaded conservative that loves to talk trash and beat up on people because they just are not in the right type of mindset. She's the first person to tell you about yourself, and she loves to bake up a storm. That's right. It is the founder of Panoptic Strategies. That's right, Gretchen Gailey. I think that was a piss poor intro, Jason. And I don't I'm know. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'll try to do better tomorrow, Gretchen. I apologize. She's just disgusted. That was <laughs> terrible. I'm sorry. Disgusted. I, I apologize. Hopefully, you'll do better with your story. Do you hear the sigh? Hopefully, anything's a step up from that. My headline is: uh, As cannabis stores are slow to open, worries over Delta Eight sales grow. Uh, this is from the New Jersey Monitor. Uh, in Jersey City, searching Google for a dispensary near me will return dozens of hits, even though the only legal recreational cannabis shops within 10 miles are in Secaucus, Bloomfield, and Elizabeth. The results include stores with neon cannabis signs in their windows and flashy packaging for edibles that don't typically sell legal weed. But instead, petal products containing Delta-8, a psychoactive chemical found in the cannabis plant that doesn't give the same effects as the marijuana legalized in New Jersey, which is derived from Delta-9. There's no license required to sell Delta-8, which is not evaluated or approved by federal or state agencies. A loophole convenience stores, gas stations, and smoke shops have pounced on in recent months to fill a gap in the gray cannabis market. Legal recreational stores have been slow to open, and they stock products with stubbornly high prices. Meanwhile, Delta 8 gummies, vapes, and joints are cheap and easy to find. That worries lawmakers who fear kids can get their hands on dangerous chemicals and cannabis entrepreneurs who fear the prevalence of Delta 8 products confuses customers and may drive them away from legal cannabis products. A lot of people are going into it like, oh, I can get high illegally and not worry about it, said Michael Bajans, who is opening Green Knight Cannabis in Franklin Township in Somerset County. But I think people start to ingest it. The next day you wake up and have this hangover or like a mental block on your or your stomach hurts. And it's like, what did I take? The Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the FDA warned that Delta 8 products have not been evaluated or approved and could be potentially dangerous. The chemical contributed to more than 2,000 accidental poisonings between January 2021 and February 2022. The Farm Bill passed by Congress in 2018 legalized hemp and led to the boom in Delta-8, a hemp-derived cannabinoid. Delta-8 is less potent than Delta-9, the chemical that produces the feeling you're high, and it's been marketed as an alternative to weed with less paranoia, less anxiety, and a less intense high, according to the FDA. But without oversight, critics say products being sold in many stores are pumped with Delta-8 or manufactured carelessly using household chemicals. The FDA warns that chemicals could be used to change the color of the final product. A Virginia Commonwealth University study that tested dozens of products brought in that state, I'm sorry, bought in that state, were found to have up to 10 times as much Delta-8 as advertised and included synthetic cannabinoids. 
In another study by Chemical Research and Toxicology, researchers tested 27 Delta 8 products and found none of them contained the levels advertised and even tested positive for heavy metals, including lead and mercury. I don't think anybody saw these synthetic distillations happening the way they did. But once we saw that was happening and children were at risk of putting this unregulated crap into their bodies, the federal government should have taken action. It's policy malfeasance that they didn't. Uh, And this is according to Senator Declan O'Scanlan, who has introduced a bill that would require New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission, which oversees the medical and recreational marijuana market to also regulate the sale of hemp and Delta-8. The legislature shouldn't be getting into the nitty-gritty when we have the power to give it to a regulatory body that can protect consumers, particularly our kids who are buying this crap, that we have no idea what it is. I do believe that they should be regulating Delta-8. I think, frankly, every cannabinoid should be regulated for consumer safety. But I don't think legislatures should be singling out Delta-8 Uh, Because that is simply going to allow uh, enterprising entrepreneurs to start finding another cannabinoid to abuse. This Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. I agree with you, Gretchen, on just about everything you said today. Is it, since it's over, it's a hundred different compounds. I mean, hundreds of different compounds, but just cannabinoids alone. I mean, and then we're not not even to mention the synthetic derived cannabinoids that they're coming up with. Um, yeah, I think it is just a matter of time. Totally agree, Gretchen. I mean, this is a big, this is going to be a big win. I mean, the market in New Jersey is already crushing. And if they eliminate Delta A products from the shelves, that's just going to drive more consumers to these new stores that are opening up. And the New Jersey market is going to thrive even more than it already is. I mean, Delta A should come I have from to, a I have to dig a bit more into I have to dig a bit more into the bill that Scanlon has produced. It's over 18 pages. But, Jason, this is not about making Delta 8 illegal. This is actually about regulating it. So they're going to put them through the same, like, testing requirements? Is that what you're saying? As, like, normal cannabis products? Yes. They yes. should. I'm, I'm fine yes. with that. Yeah. Yes. I'm fine with that. Yes. I, I mean, at yes. the same time, that is the elimination of most Delta 8 products anyway once you put them through that type of process. I mean, is it, or do they have enough conclusive evidence to start to preclude some of that product? Delta eight products would pass the type of testing that cannabis products go through. Jason, Jason, if it passes a cat three pesticide test, if it passes a heavy metal test, they'll pass it. If it has Delta eight and it doesn't make it not uh, viable for the product, that's the problem. The regulators don't know what's a bad and good percentage of Delta eight versus Delta nine. But the problem is they're making Delta nine products and that's the real issue. It's not even the Delta 8. It's the Delta 9 gummies and the Delta 9 vapes and whatever the conversions they're making, the isomers they're making <clears throat> from CBD. And Delta 8 not the only one. It's because there's actually Delta 9 products on these shelves in Florida, in Texas, in Kentucky, in all these other states when we have a regulated market for Delta 9. That's the, that's the issue, right? That's the core of the issue is we have to play by a certain set of rules. And these other guys in these other states that are making Delta A products and selling them in head shops, they don't have to do any of that. Their burden their, their burden to deliver the, the product to the market is like nothing compared to, to what we're doing. So, I mean, that's the real issue because anybody who's a medical patient in Florida that pays the state to have a medical card to go into a shop to buy an overpriced product can get the same Delta 9 product, obviously not natural, it's converted. 
uh, from CBD, but they can get that in a head shop, no medical card, no nothing, and it's probably a lot cheaper. That's the issue. Delta 8 is regulated in Nevada. It's, it's considered a cannabis product. So we test uh, for Delta 8 on every cannabis product that comes through the lab. Um, so uh, it is a regulated product, and the uh, CCB also has their own set of cops who go into these head shops, into these CBD stores, and they purchase uh, lots of these Delta 8 products. They bring them to my lab, and we do testing for them. And uh, there are lots of Delta 9 and Delta 8 products out in the world uh, at head shops and, uh, uh, you know, smoke shops. How many of those pass testing at your lab, Todd, and how many of those fail? Uh, Most of them pass the testing because we test for certain things, right? You know, we test for 20, 23 pesticides, four heavy metals, and then uh, a complete micro screen. But uh, most of them are passing. uh, uh, There's not a lot of pesticides on products these days, uh, although there is a uh, an outbreak here in in Nevada with Epithon um, that it is a non-regulated pesticide that people seem to be using. And uh, uh, there's lots of, um, uh, uh, you know, bans of these products and. These products are being taken out of dispensaries. But I'm, I'm just saying that Delta 8 is just as powerful as Delta 9 if you smoke a lot of it, right? It needs to be regulated just like uh, any other cannabis product. Whatever whatever happened to that in, uh, Jason, whatever happened to that in California, it was supposed to, we were supposed to have like all hemp products only sold in dispensaries too i think there was uh, something oh ever since the beginning they had said that that you said there's gonna happen california and then they came out with a separate bill yeah to allow for hemp derived stuff to be put into food and whatnot like at restaurants and stuff and additives you could add it to a drink and then that was that was turned down and it's 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 one big one big s show for all of it Oh, I mean, yeah. So, what is this? What is the solution? Hold on. Well, I don't know if there is a solution, but Todd, Todd, what did you say was the the name of that that new uh, that new thing that everybody's using? Oh, Epithon. Epithon is that made yeah. by the people that make the EpiPen? <laughs> I don't think so. Eagle Twenty. Um, no, it is a it. pesticide that, uh, like I said, is not a. We don't test for it in Nevada, but people are using it, um, you know, on some of their products. According right. to the CCB, anyway. Well, we got to yeah. we got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Oh, yeah, it's that time in the show. We're at halftime. We want to thank you all for tuning in regularly and watching us. And if you uh, make sure that you are going over to our YouTube page, hitting that subscribe button if you haven't already. Hit that like button down below. And make sure that you head over to our website and sign up for our newsletter that goes out every Saturday. Also, too, when you do sign up for our newsletter, you will get an email confirming. And a lot of times these emails get put into your junk or your 
spam email. So make sure you check in there as well. We're going to go right back to a commercial. Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, she is a patient plant medicine advocate and founder of Purple Plant Magic. And Wednesday mornings, you can catch her on Power 88. Las Vegas is the encyclopedia. You know who she is. Come to the stage next. She is the Western. I'm going to mess this intro up already because, <laughs> <laughs> because of your new, your new. I need you to do that. It's going around. It's not just me. Your, your, new, <laughs> your new title. She is the leader of all black people in the state of. M4MM. Y'all know she's doing great things. And you get to correct me on the title because I don't have it in my script right here. So I apologize for that. It's okay. It's all right. I love you anyway. Thank you so much. I go Bafang. Thanks so much for uh, botching that intro, Rico. I appreciate you, my brother. Okay, so, um, and and I want to be clear that Minorities for Medical Marijuana is for everyone, not just for Black people. We like to see, if you like to see a diverse and inclusive cannabis industry, then join us because we are very inclusive. We have members that come from all backgrounds. And so it's not, a, you don't have to be Black to be a member of M4MM, just, just for clarification. All right, so I found this fun article. Um, yeah, Gretchen is a member of, of, of um, ad, active member of M4MM. Um, thanks for all your work, Gretchen. Uh, so I found a fun one. I love this concept uh, because I know education is at the key to everything that we do and in order to move this industry forward. Uh, so I found this article that was posted in Forbes yesterday. The Cannabis Museum focused on drug wars wants to change hearts and minds. When April Arasta got a license to open a recreational cannabis dispensary in Boston, it followed a successful stint of her being a producer of medical marijuana in Connecticut. There would be a difference with her new business. She wanted it to have a mission enter the core social justice cannabis museum. Rather than simply explore the history of the plant, the museum, which opened in March of 2021, alongside Aras Sade's, I'm messing up her name, sorry, sis, seed dispensary, focuses on the inequities of American drug policy through a series of changing exhibits. A lawyer with a biotech background, um, I'm just gonna call her by her first name, April, is hoping that in some way her museum, for which she serves as executive director, will be able to change marijuana policy toward the better, or at least change people's perspective about cannabis. So far, the museum, a nonprofit, is making serious headway. Not only has it attracted a diverse pool of investors, some of whom have been incarcerated as a result of the drug wars, but a new location will be opening in Portland, Maine, in May. Understandably, April and her team are excited about this milestone, now their goal is to spread the word about the new location as well as score more sponsorships and donations. Recently, she spoke about the genesis of the museum, the exhibits, and what she would like every person to come away with after visiting either location. She was asked, what made you choose the current exhibit in Boston? 
American Warden Investigates Incarceration in America Against the Backdrop of Cannabis Prohibition. That's the name of the exhibit. For example, every male born after 20, 2001 has a 1 in 13 chance of ending up in jail in America. That's based on 2019 crime statistics released by the FBI. If we take cannabis off the table, everyone would be safer. The museum is there to examine the effect our laws have had on our people and our culture. American Warden is the first stab at it. The second question she was asked is what exhibit will launch the Portland location? She said it's called Sea to Soul. I really want people to understand the impact our laws have had on the plant, all the way to the cultivation and production process to how it interacts with our body and gets to your soul, giving it a high. Everyone wants to know how this plant is grown. What I want to do is show is how our laws have impacted the chemical makeup of the plant. So I thought that um, I've heard this museum concept um, with other groups that I work with, and I think it's a great idea. It's a great way to break the stigma. Um, a lot of people only associate cannabis with crime and negativity and, of course, it being a dangerous drug. So I think that it's important for these type of museums to exist, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, explaining the history of cannabis in that particular country or that particular region to really connect with the people, to help them to understand that, you know, that by design that this plant was taken from us um, and replaced with synthetic medications and criminalized at the same time. So the people who had been using it for generations and decades um, now all of a sudden become criminals, um, no longer doctors or naturopaths or herbalists. Uh, so I think it's important to tell those stories. And so I'd love to hear what my correspondents think about this. This is Nicole Buffon reporting for Hyatt 9 News. I love it. The more we can shed this, light on. And this is, this is in Massachusetts? Yeah, well, she, she first had her store in Boston, is what it said. She first got licensed in Boston. Um, and she is producing this museum there as well. But she's opening up a second location in um, Portland, is what it did, said. Did, well. did it say if she was the recipient of any grant funding to fund to fund uh, the? Did not. So she's because it says that she's looking for sponsorships and donations to help fund the museum. Right. So it, it did say that in there. And does she have a, a date, an anticipated date of opening? That that's not in the article. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in um, learning more about this museum because, of course, I want to go visit. Um, and so I won't be going to Maine anytime soon, but I should be in the Boston area to be able to go check it out. Um, and, I, and I know, you know, uh, there was a cannabis museum here in Las Vegas that shut down a couple of years ago. And it's supposed to be um, the rights to that museum is supposed to be opening up in Planet 13. So Planet 13 bought it. Um, and so uh, I love the Cannabis Museum that was here in Las Vegas. Um, it was here open when I first moved here in 19. And so I'm very interested to see what it's going to look like when it opens back up in Planet 13. Um, that's also, it's also, of course, important to know who is telling the story when it comes to history, uh, because there's, you know, selective memory, I'd like to call it, yep. especially here in the United States when it comes to telling the true story. Yep, And they try to erase what happened. As soon as they start making Absolutely. money and moving in another Absolutely. direction, so I think it's. I mean, I, a cannabis museum in Florida would be a nightmare. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's very, very important that we continue to tell the stories of our fallen, uh, fallen brothers and sisters um, along the way, and what has happened. And um, you know, every time we big up a company for making X amount of dollars, 
we need to shine that light right back behind us on the incarcerated folks who remain incarcerated, who remain uh, prisoners of the failed racist war on drugs. That's right. So I, I, I'm wondering, um, is there how, how big of a chance do you think, Nicole, that this actually doesn't open because they don't get the money that they need to lift it off the ground? I mean, she has a cannabis dispensary. She'll self-fund it. She seems pretty passionate about self, this. Self-funding so like self a museum off of, off of money that you make off of a single dispensary is not a lot of money to fund a museum. Well, she's got two dispensaries now. She's licensed in multiple even states. If you but, exit, yeah. Even if you 10X it. You're absolutely right. Unless you are an MSO. I mean, she would, she would be considered an MSO because she is a multi-state operator. Um, but I'm sure she does not have, um, I don't want to assume to know what's in her pockets. But, um, you know, she, having big MSO money to be able to fund something like this, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe I don't, think, maybe I don't she, think there is real big MSO money because uh, if you look at all the money that they owe in taxes, I don't think there's a lot of big MSO money either. I mean, uh, well, they're not make they might not be making money off of the actual license and the dispensary or the retail operation, but they have money. They have long money. They have money enough money to work to wait this thing out. Um, I'm sure much more money than what April has um, to wait out to them figuring out 280, yeah. them figuring out safe banking. Like th that's the that's the difference. Um, you know, operators like Pure Leaf, they just have long money. They've got money that comes from other industries. Mm -hmm. And so they might not be making money in actual cannabis, but they have enough money to sustain and stay around. And also in Portland, in, in, in Portland, Maine. Last Prisoner Project has a little bit of a connection with their uh, dispensary that they opened in, uh, um, in in Portland, Maine. Maybe they can uh, sh uh, shoo over a few of those dollars and help them out. You know, do people really want to go to a cannabis museum? I mean, in Vegas, they did not. You know, here's a place that 40 million people come a year and well, think, uh, nobody wanted to go see cannabis. The pot industry... And the workers and everything, we all went there and checked it out, and we thought it was great. But they couldn't get bus loads of tourists there. So do people really want one? Um, I guess that's why they decided to move it into Planet yeah. 13. That way it's like already there and just an added yeah. activation right. versus I, being in a separate location. I, I, that makes sense. I, I agree with you, Todd. You know, um, uh, uh, they, there, there was a cannabis museum that was out here for about three months that Weed Maps had put together, and that right. was that was a smash. You know what I mean? As as far as that, but that was funded. It was funded by Weed Maps, and then they yeah. and the intention of it wasn't to necessarily make money and 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 have a profitable business off of it. So, and that that's what I'm saying. I think for stuff like this, you're going to need that government grant funding in yeah. order to make these uh, r realistic things. Good yeah. point, we we, we got to go. We got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh yeah, coming up next. That's right. It's the man, Mr. Saman Razani. He is a formulator of formulations a designer of facilities and he is the man that reminds women experiencing menopause how to say hello again 
That's right. It is the man, Mr. Saman Rizani. <laughs> You're on mute, Saman. You're on mute. He's on menopause. <laughs> yeah, you're on mute. <laughs> I don't hear you. No one hears you. No one hears you. Uh, well, maybe we should just go to Todd. Maybe we should just go to Todd. Uh, we're getting a technical difficulty from Simon. Simon, check your audio settings. Check it out because we're not hearing you. Rico, you want to introduce Todd? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <clears throat> he is the dope granddaddy. Should we call him Granddaddy Dope? I don't know. You tell me. Coming to the stage, you know who it is. The man with the golden voice and co-founder of the Smuggleverse, a 30-year media producer, director, editor, and he did 13 years as a C-suite cannabis executive. Y'all know who it is. Coming to the stage, Todd Dankins. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Some, some, uh, some of their audio, because my, my thing, there you go. I got, I could also... I also have my own applause in case yours doesn't work, you know, so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, stop. Stop. Really? No, stop. I mean, I think yours, Todd, could also be mistaken for running water. Oh, that's, I, I guess so. <laughs> well, my story comes out of the land down under uh, and from High Times magazine. As activists staged a 420 protest featuring a cavalcade of military vehicles traveling the streets of Sydney to publicize failed marijuana policies. A group of Australian cannabis activists took to the street of Sydney in a motorcade of military vehicles to protest failed war on drugs and policies that punish drivers who are found to have THC in their system. Known collectively as the Who Are We Hurting Army, the group of activists staged their protest on 420, the global cannabis community's high holiday, the contingent of military vehicles included a tank traveled by the Sydney Opera House and the Sydney Harbour Bridge, two well-known landmarks in the Australian city that served as the backdrop for a protest on April 20, 2022, that featured cannabis imagery projected on the iconic structures. The organizers of last year's 420 protest, Alex Zemit and Will Stolk, have been criminally charged for their actions under a law that bans the projection of commercial images on the Sydney Opera House. The pair are on bail pending prosecution for their actions, which they maintain are a constitutionally protected protest of cannabis prohibition in Australia. For this year's demonstration, the group of activists secured a fleet of armored military vehicles to travel throughout Sydney to deliver facts about cannabis directly to Australian news outlets. The protest also aimed to highlight the failures of the cannabis policy in Australian state of New South Wales, which penalizes drivers who are found to have THC in their system. Under the law, drivers found to have THC in their system are subject to criminal penalties, including license suspension or revocation, stiff fines, and imprisonment. Zamet said that the military-style action was designed to highlight the harmful policies of the failed war on drugs. He said, this visual statement aims to highlight the need for a new approach to drug driving policy, one that prioritizes harm reduction and treatment over punishment and incarceration. 
The activists note that a 2019 study by Sydney University's Lambert Initiative, a research program investigating the medical potential of cannabis, found that while drivers under the influence of high-potency THC products exhibited more lane weaving, other measures showed that intoxicating driver, intoxicated drivers were somewhat safer. Intoxicated drivers tended to leave a larger gap between them and the car in front of them and showed no tendency to speed, according to the research. Driving with THC shouldn't make you an enemy, Zamet added. Driving laws need change. Cannabis patients deserve equal range, he added. The protest was also designed to educate the public about the benefits of cannabis legalization, including enhanced personal freedom and the potential for new sources of revenue for public services that could come with regulating and taxing commercial cannabis production and sales. We want to publicize the discussion around cannabis in Australia and ask the government who would be hurt by an amnesty, said fellow cannabis activist Stoke. We want to educate the Australian taxpayer on the benefits of fully legalizing cannabis in Australia. There is a huge amount of money that will flow into the coffers of the Australian government for use in healthcare, schools, and roads from taxes that will be taken from legalized cannabis. We also want to highlight the fact that the 75-plus-year war on drugs has not worked and has cost the taxpayer billions of dollars fighting a war that cannot and will not ever be won. Stolk continued. The cannabis policy reform movement in Australia got a new boost recently when legalized cannabis New South Wales Party elected Jeremy Buckingham as its first member of parliament. Buckingham, a former Green Party member, said that he will spend much of his time in office advocating for the legalization of cannabis and related policy reforms. He said, I am honored to have been elected as the first member of parliament for the legalized cannabis New South Wales Party. I am committed to advancing the cause of drug law reform and working towards a more just and equitable society. I look forward to working with my colleagues in parliaments and with the broader community to make this vision a reality. Yet another objection to the failed war on drugs. I'm Todd Dankin with Hyatt 9 News. And what do you guys think about Australia's um, protest? Yo. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Let them smoke. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love I love the protest, but if this guy thinks he's gonna get anything done in Australian <laughs> politics, he is smoking something really good too. The smoke yeah. and drive party. I was down in Australia in uh in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and uh it was legal back then in South Australia. And uh I was shooting a film and traveled all around the country and we were able to, uh, to find a pound of weed in South Australia. And we, we traveled around the whole country, uh, with this and until we ran out <laughs> and then didn't have any more, but, uh, it was a legal uh, product, uh, back in 2000. So I'm not really sure what happened, uh, between now and then, but, uh, clearly there's, um, some problems down there about driving with THC in your system. I could never drive a car if I, um, if you can't drive with THC in your system. Yeah, exactly. Australia is known as the nanny state. So, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, you know, this is just typical, you know, typical nonsense from the Aussies. But, um, you know, I mean, it, there's a lot of issues in Australia. They have a lot of just drug issues down there. I don't know if any of you are like really hip to the 
to the whole underbelly of Australia, but it's, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, an issue for them. So this just makes sense um, for an on par for Australia, I guess, for their, for their bureaucracy, but um, hopefully, hopefully they change the rules, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like they have a lot of reform to go through and we're definitely not going to hear the last story coming out of Australia. Yeah. Um, I think I think a lot of us probably don't read our DUI um, laws <laughs> because here in Nevada it is 0.2 nanograms of THC. 0.2? Oh, and that's, point yes. two. And that's point 0.2. Yes. And that's where it stood two years ago when the Chamber of Cannabis reformed the DUI bill um, and made it so that just the amount of THC in your blood could not determine DUI. That's the way that we reformed it. But now there's a bill that's get that's moving through um, state legislator um, uh, session right now that's trying to eliminate that altogether, that it would completely eradicate our reform to the bill mm. um, and make it so that if you have any amount of THC in your system. So yeah. the, the, most people are not paying attention to the laws, that the way that they're written on the book until it affects them. Right. But most of the states and places when you wise, the, the what is written is ridiculous. Even in medical states, if you're a medical patient, you have more than 0.2 nanograms of, of cannabis oh, yeah. of THC in your system every single day. So does it mean yeah. that you're intoxicated at the time of said accident? Yeah. It, isn't in Nevada that you can't refuse the blood test to like something like that's that? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. California is the same thing if you, in most places if you refuse the if you refuse the blood test then you automatically you, you lose your ability to drive period right well you can you you can have your license revoked immediately in some places it just depends on the state but they also can just take you to jail immediately They'll take you to jail that's right yeah, yeah. exactly so yeah. you can refuse it but they're taking you straight to jail yep just remember, though, if you get pulled over, just shut the shut the up. fuck up. <laughs> let them draw your blood. I try, I try <laughs> just shut up and let them just prick you. Yeah. We'll all get different kinds of things and inject you with all kinds of things. That's what right. you're supposed to do. I thought there's America people. Oh, it's Joe Biden. This is where they, this is where they want to inj inject you with weird shit. You know. Yes, it is. We have we have some on. You want to you want to give him the intro, Jason? Yeah. So, oh, there we go. We got some on back. That's right. He is here. To try to do his story again, just like he reminds people how to say hello again. Hello. Oh yes, oh yes. I'm I'm gonna just take that one to the grave. Absolutely, it's gonna always be my my thing. Um, I've got a great story coming uh, from our friends at Marijuana Moment. Um, this is about uh, the American Pharmacists Association, the APHA. Top Pharmacist Association endorses drug decriminalization. Yeah. The American Pharmacist Association, APHA, is officially backing the de decriminalization of all drugs and paraphernalia, earning the praise of drug reform and harm reduction advocates. Members of the APHA's House of Delegates voted to adopt and adopt the revised policy last month, becoming one of the nation's largest medical associations to endorse broad decriminalization. APHA supports the decriminalization of the personal possession or personal use of illicit drug substances or paraphernalia, the plank says. However, the association remains opposed to the, quote, legalization of the possession, sale, distribution, or use of illicit drug substances for non-medical uses. 
Members of the APHA founded in 1852 and representing over 62,000 pharmacy professionals nationwide also voted to remove a prior policy plank that voiced support for the use of drug courts as an alternative criminal justice pathway for those with drug-related convictions. Instead, a new policy says it would su- it, that it supports voluntary pathways for the treatment and rehabilitation of individuals that have been charged with the possession or use of illicit drug substances and who have substance use or other related medical disorders. Sheila Vakaria, Deputy Director of Drug Policy Alliance, DPA, uh, Department of Research and Academic Engagement, said in a press release on Monday that APHA's Uh, um, APHA's historic statement recognizes that criminalization and punishment will only harm the most marginalized amongst us. And the farm, then the pharmacist should work to expand access to life-saving harm reduction and treatment strategies that work. We have lost over a million lives to preventable overdose deaths during the overdose crisis. And it's clearer than ever that we must move away from the punitive approaches toward the, toward the ground. uh, I'm sorry from punitive approach toward one grounded in compassion and public health if we want to save lives, she said. Adrian Simmons, Director of Programs at National Viral Hepatitis Roundtable, added that the association's support for addressing substance use as a health issue rather than crime strengthens pharmacists' role as public health professionals, and it is a critical step toward addressing rising overdose and hepatitis C infection rates. APHA is one of the latest health associations to back decriminalization as a public opinion has shifted away from punitive drug laws toward health-focused harm reduction policies to combat, to combat the overdose crisis, though it, is, though it is not the only one. In February, the American Society for Addiction Medicine, ASAM, ASAM, which has historically aligned itself with prohibitionist and re, uh, resisted modest marijuana reforms, called for the decriminalization of all currently illicit drugs in the interest of public health and racial equity. Another major medical group, the, Men- the Minnesota Medical Association, the MMA, also recently endorsed broad drug decriminalization expungement for low-level possessions and promotion of statewide harm reduction programs. Nationwide, a strong majority of Americans, including most Republicans, support drug decriminalization, according to a poll released last year. There is also majority support overall for allowing the operation of overdose prevention centers where people can use illicit substances in a medically supervised setting and receive treatment resources. Support for the decriminalization proposal increased by 10%. 10 percentage points overall since voters were asked about the same thing in 2021 with a different question and prior data for progress polls. Lawmakers in a number of states across the United States, including Massachusetts, New York, and Vermont, have filed drug decriminalization bills for the 2023 session. In 2021, congressional lawmakers filed the first ever bill to federally decriminalize possession of all currently illicit drugs, while also seeking to incentivize states to follow suit. Nora Valco, director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, NIDA, said last year that the ongoing criminalization of people over drug use needs to end in order to effectively address substance misuse and stigmatization of addiction. And this is Saman Razani reporting on this amazing story. And uh, this is big news. Uh, I think this is all moving in the right direction, but I'd love to hear what my peers and, and our audience have to say. So what say you peeps? 
it is more validation. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know what's happening in like in Amsterdam. I mean, in, in Netherlands, let's just say it's like they have state sponsored clinics where people can, you know, get their, uh, you know, you know, get their drugs or whatever. It's not like I don't want to say it's a recreational thing there. I, I, I don't really know. I don't have a ton of knowledge. I just know they've been doing this for years. It's been many years. Um, I don't know the exact time frame, but there is no like panhandling and loitering and doing these weird things to get money to buy the drugs it's the it's the government is helping to administer these things and so people can live a functional life um you know or as functional as possible but i think this is like a step one to just giving people their dignity back you know it's um i mean i don't i don't want to like you know incriminate myself i think we've all experimented with many substances in our time but like now there's some people that that just to gain a dependence on some of these drugs and um, instead of turning them into criminals, we should just give them their dignity back. That's just my opinion. Yes, indeed. I mean, Gretchen, what do you think about this? I mean, I think that's kind of a big deal. Gretchen, really? don't care. Sure. Gretchen, don't care. Um, I would <laughs> like it if it were... I'd prefer if they were pushing for uh, descheduling over decriminalization. I mean, it's I mean, like a baby, baby, baby step. I mean, at least at least didn't say rescheduling. Yeah. I I mean, baby steps or steps. Yeah, fantastic. But I want them to push. I want them to push for something that actually has to do with the legitimacy and the efficacy of the plant. Not well, it's not planned. This is talking about all drugs, Gretchen. It. This is not talking about cannabis. This is talking about it. everything. I get it. But but I mean you're 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 you know, you I'm made I'm sorry. A good I point. think this is riding a this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a Joe Biden pardon. This is like a Joe Biden yeah. pardon. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, folks. We this need is it. so yeah. it's it, it, it's worth less than the paper it's printed on. Right. I mean, but let's be honest with you. Would you rather have um, you know, let's say these people who are dependent on heroin, okay? Let's say they're posted up outside in your house, Gretchen, panhandling for, for money all day so they can buy their drugs. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather them have a place to yep, go yep. that uh, they don't have to be in front of your house? Like, that's what we're talking about here. I think beyond just doing drugs, it's like, look, it is what it is, all right? So how do you fix the issue rather than like promulgate another issue, making them criminals, putting them in jail, making them dependent on the state, which is effectively dependent on my tax dollars and your tax dollars. So this is uh, something to consider. Not saying that our tax dollars won't pay for, you know, uh, things like a state-sponsored drug clinic for people, but I'd rather that than to pay, <laughs> than to pay endless money to, like, clean up homeless encampments and stuff like that. So let's... Yeah, yeah, they do that in Australia. We were talking about Australia before. In Sydney, they definitely have uh, free needle handouts and also free methadone if you want that. But uh, yeah, that in, there in, are... In British are, Columbia, too. Well, but the free needle handouts aren't really the solution. They do that in San Francisco, too. But then we end up with needles in the be on the beaches. Like, you got to have a place where they don't need a needle. The, the person administering their drugs has the needle, and they discard it and dispose of it properly. So and, that person, and that person could go on about their day, and they just come back on their scheduled visit for their next dose. So you, know, you, this you is just call the shoot clinic where you have someone administering the shoots up. Shoot booth. 
Yeah, it should yeah. be treated like a uh, a disease and not a crime. So we're going to uh, call in these. I think uh, that's a good first step. Are we going to start calling these uh, nurses or doctors, whoever's administering this? Are we going to start calling them shooters? Top of the hour, a little over. Wonder how much that job pays. Right? <laughs> uh, Pre-tip or both? Uh, just the tip. <laughs> Thank you all out there for tuning in with us for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays at nine a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans. Showing your love and support and affection in our live audience members and online supporters across platforms, tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines. To our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the conversation. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, and the wonderful Zsa Simone holding things down over in Clubhouse. And to our sponsors, too, making sure our AV struggles stay to a minimum and of course to all you haters out there we see you typing away in the chat we love you and just keep on doing it adds to our algorithm and always cannabis sativa l the reason that high at nine news team shows up to read these headlines daily we love you and it's tuesday april 25th 2023 the show is over you've been blessed with today's top industry headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke it at least until tomorrow. Y'all know who it is. Rico Lamy, the dopest dad on the street, signing off. And remember, when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn F up. <laughs> Nicole Bafong, I, I screwed up your intro today. You got the outro. What you got for us? Um, Today, words of wisdom. Be nice to people. It doesn't cost you anything. Yes. Respect.